Everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello. And Miss Christine Steimer. Hello. That was so tiny, Brittany. Hello. I don't know. Oh, God, I'm a Muppet. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was telling you, ladies, before the show started that our house, our power to our casa went out randomly around three this morning and... You know, when that happens, it's just hard to go back to sleep. So I think I'm dragging a little... My glutes are dragging today. Mm, pick up mm. your bootay and start I know. to walk in. I have my Brit concoction of five-hour energy and some Jack Daniels here. So we'll see. That's, Ooh, that seems potent. I was like, that seems <laughs> oh, yeah. like a real bad idea for your heart. But okay. <laughs> hey, I mean, I've lived this long. <laughs> we'll see it's true well we want you to keep on living so just next time lean more into the jack daniels and less into the five hour energy and you'll be okay well see the thing is if i just have jack daniels i'm old now i'm gonna be sleepy so i need to counter that with some caffeine it's an endless cycle it's vicious i don't know this is why you have to get on that coffee life that whiskey in your coffee life ew oh yeah a little irish (gasps) coffee ew ew what do you mean ew brit ew coffee has just never done it for me coffee doesn't flip my skirt it doesn't grease my chicken you know what i'm saying it's just ew. oh god it's because you haven't put enough sugar in it let's be honest <laughs> that's true i think stammer loves it when i talk about greased chicken no, <laughs> greased please, chicken please don't please never say it again it would make me really happy if i never heard you say that ever I noticed, I noticed the last time I said it, you let off like a little ew in the background and you just did it again. So funny. Yes. It's because it's gross. Well, I mean, it's just a little grease chicken never hurt anyone. <laughs> Sorry. A lot can kill you. Oh. Um, right. <laughs> oh. He just really wants to be on the show, you guys. He's just like, I must be in your lap on the show. No, you want to go? <laughs> You, you change your mind? If you're wondering, it's if you're uh, just listening to us, that is, this is not John Drake and Andrew's lap right now. It's your kitty cat ghost. YouTube.com slash What's Good Games. <sighs> All right. Now maybe he'll go away after he saw the bright light and stared. Too much pressure. Um, All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is What's Good Games that you are listening to, whether it's your first episode or your 125th episode. We're glad that you guys are here. We do have a few announcements before we get into the show. Last week, we announced that we're going to be doing an Extra Life event at the end of October. Mark your calendars. Fargo, North Dakota. Friday, October 25th is going to be the official What's Good Games meet and greet. We are still working out details on location and timing, but it will be in the evening. We had some people reach out to me to say, hey, if I'm driving in, will I have time to make it if I, if I have to work during the day? And I said, probably, depends how late you work, but it will be in the evening hours. We're probably looking at a start time around 7, would be my guess. 
So uh, more details to come on that. And then the big event where we're going to raise money for the big, beautiful kids is on Saturday, October 26th in Fargo, North Dakota. We will be raising money for the Stanford Children's Hospital, which is the local branch for Extra Life in North Dakota, which we're very excited about. We've got some special guests that are going to be making appearances, and we'll have lots more announcements regarding that event later on in the coming weeks, but something that's a little bit closer that you might want to get involved in at patreon.com slash what's good games. One of the amazing perks that you have with your membership is access to an exclusive stream called the happy hour Q and a that is happening for the month of October on Thursday, October 17th, which is two weeks from yesterday after the po- uh, podcast publishes. Uh, we are targeting a 6 PM Pacific start time. It's a little bit of, you know, technical wiggle room. You guys know how we like to roll. And then, of course, <laughs> after that will be the after-hour stream in true after-hours fashion, going late into the evening, probably looking around an 8 p.m. Pacific start time. And it's going to work out perfectly because it's going to be nice and spooky for us to really get things going in Man of Madon. I think we're at a point in the story where people are going to start to die. Yeah, stuff starts picking up. And it gets real spooky. Very excited to watch you both squeal. It's going to be great. I just, uh, I'm a, I want, I'm looking forward to commentating over it more because I had a lot of fun with that last time. It is definitely, I found that too when Jason and I played it. I also found myself just enjoying watching him play because it's, you're kind of like sitting back, enjoying the film kind of thing. And then you're yeah. not the one who gets totally freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 going to be real good. I have to figure out how to get our save to where we are or maybe i just have to play through up until where we are on the ps4 and then stop there yeah if you want to stream on the ps4 because we are on Mm. steam right yeah we were on yeah we We played it on steimer's computer yeah Yeah. okay a problem for another time um the last piece of announcements that we have are about ways that you can support everything we do here at What's Good Games. We talk a lot about supporting us on Patreon and helping keep the lights on, but we understand that not everybody can contribute financially. So another great way that you can support us here at What's Good Games is to leave us reviews on the podcast platform that you listen to our show on and to help combat some of the terrible reviews that are happening out there. It's been a funny little bit that Britt's put together over these last couple of weeks. And Britt, you've got another one for us today. Well, yes, Andrea, I do. This week's one-star review comes from 31-year-old male. (laughs) Nice. Very descriptive, I've got to say. That's that's their username. Very cool. Uh, The review is bad. Had to tap out five minutes in when they kept going on and on about their day instead of games. Oh, no. That means he's definitely not listening anymore because we're about 10 minutes in and we haven't talked about games yet. We Mm. have. We talked about Man of Medan. Or I guess that's true. We did. Hey, hey, that's corrected. a video game. Update your review, you thirty-one-year-old male. <laughs> if you guys want to help us combat those funny one-star reviews, <laughs> please head to your favorite podcast platform of your choice and leave us a nice set of reviews. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not going to give you any more guidance than that. Do what your heart tells you. Unless yes, it's anything less than five star review, yeah, and like you know, don't. your mom. If your mama should have taught you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Man, exactly. There's a gif of me saying something similar with Tim Gettys. Look it up; it's pretty excellent. All right. With that, it's time to give a special thank you and shout out to this month's Patreon producers, Alex Rogopoulos, Chewy's Godson, David Icolucci, Ferris Atay, and Mohammed Mohammed. And welcome to our Patreon community, Alex Forte, K. 
Kale, Alfred Kayago, Chris Hahn, and Coy Thompson. Thank you so much for joining us and starting your membership at patreon.com slash what's good games. And with that, it's time to get into the news. And this week, it's brought to you by Earthbreak. Ever wonder what you'd do if you found yourself in the middle of a post-apocalyptic world that has been ravished by a deadly virus inflicted by aliens? I fantasize Look, about this all the time. This definitely sounds like a Britney fantasy world. <laughs> Looking for a unique date or game night that gets you off your devices and truly interacting with each other? Well, you've got to check out this game called Escape the Invasion. It's all about immersive experiences, and they just announced the launch of their new post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic themed subscription box if you're listening to this podcast you probably have wondered would i survive the alien apocalypse well now you can find out from the makers of hunt a killer the popular true crime mystery subscription game comes escape the invasion the sci-fi game where you are a survivor on a rapidly dying earth after an alien invasion so here is the plot you find refuge in a government bunker. But is it safer than the outside world? Can you trust your fellow survivors? You think you're safe now that you've found refuge, but there is a council that creates and controls every aspect of life in the bunker. What will you choose? Freedom or safety? With Escape the Invasion, you will receive a box of clues, physical items, and evidence each month. It's up to you to piece it all together, solve the mystery, and save humanity. Not everything is as it seems in this challenging game where you must decide who to trust. Your decision will determine the fate of the story, the bunker, and maybe even humanity itself. It's been called an escape room delivered to your door where Fallout meets Alien. Escape the Invasion is a great way to get off your phones and connect with friends. Or if you prefer a solo adventure, you can interact with their online community to swap theories and help others out. High quality, handcrafted clues get you lost in this post-apocalyptic world and make you feel like humanity is truly in your hands. <sighs> so... We want to mention, of course, that we have a fantastic deal if you guys are into uh, escape experiences like this. Brittany, I know you and Jason do a lot of these. We do, because, you know, I love video games as much as the next human, but sometimes you want to give your eyeballs a rest and just kind of step away, step away from the screen. And so what I really like about this, I kind of call these little, like, escape boxes, because that's kind of what they feel like, except for you're really not necessarily trying to escape but what, what i'm trying to say is you get all these cool little clues it's kind of like you know an escape room where it's like okay here's this clue here's this how does it fit together and you have to put your mind together to figure it out well like i have some of the props here so you get things like a random like id badge and you get like a handbook you get an obituary you get like all these random things but when you start piecing it together you start forming this story and it's really fun you know we have notebooks where we're taking down like our own little notes and we're comparing and it's a good way for jason and i just to kind of like i said before step away from the screen and use our brains in a different way and just spend time together pour a glass of a whiskey play some like kind of creepy music in the background it's really fun and i would recommend checking these out as a fun you know relationship bonding experience i like that yeah good time I, I think it might tear john and i's relationship apart <laughs> I, i'm down to try you should you should it, it is it's definitely like a co-op experience and in that sense it's really nice as long as you can communicate well and not kill each other well if you've got great communication skills or you're just looking to help escape the invasion head to escape the invasion.com slash what's good for 20 percent off your first box that's escape the invasion.com slash what's good for 20 percent off your first box one more time escape the invasion.com slash what's good can you survive the alien apocalypse 
So this week in the news, there was a lot of talk from Sony and PlayStation. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had to cut down a few of the stories because it felt like it was just all PlayStation news this week. So let's kick things off with PS4 crossplay exiting beta and now a full feature for developers. So this write-up comes from IGN. Sony's crossplay function for PlayStation 4 has now completed its beta phase and is a full feature for developers to make use of. Strangely, Sony has made no official announcement about crossplay being promoted to a full feature. The news instead comes from a Wired article, which states that crossplay is now available to any developer that wishes to implement it in their game. Call of Duty Modern Warfare seems likely to be the first new game to support this at launch, with it being set for release later this month. The beta phase of PS4 crossplay included such games as Fortnite and Rocket League, which helped prove the system's capabilities. Hopefully from now on, we'll see many more multi-platform games support crossplay. Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan explained to Wired in the same article that Sony has to keep pushing PlayStation and its features in order to survive the next generation. Quote, the track record of the incumbent platform winning the next time around is not a great one, he said. So the major thrust of my executive energy is to avoid complacency. Well, that is a good stance to take, Mr. Ryan. Smart move. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, the final uh, line of the article says crossplay certainly helps show that Sony isn't willing to believe its current dominance will ensure guaranteed success in the upcoming generation. That's smart because hubris could be their downfall if they think just because they won this gen that they're going to win next gen. Because that's how every other one has gotten got, which is exactly what <laughs> Jim Ryan said. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't trip mm-hmm. on your own legs out of the gate. I guess it's not surprising that they would make a huge stink out of this because everyone's like, why would you make a big stink out of this? This is something that a lot of people have used for a while. So like, good job. You're doing the thing. So I understand why they wouldn't want to be like, look at us, guys. We're doing this revolutionary revolutionary new thing called crossplay. I mean, it's still sort of weird. I mean, they didn't need to make an announcement on the PlayStation blog, but it's just a little weird that they didn't say anything at all. Yeah, that's true. Remember uh, Jim Ryan's quote about protecting the children back at E3 2017? No. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe no. they didn't say anything because they wanted to sort of soft launch it with their publishing partners and not have like a flood of publishers all rushing to try to turn it on at the same time. I don't know. Everybody that... flipped the switch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that would do to the PlayStation Network infrastructure. I don't really know much about how that is supported on the back end. Lol. But... It's a bunch of popsicle sticks. That's what I think. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Fair enough. Popsicle sticks. Oh, I want a um, popsicle. All right. That's all well, we have to say about that. Crossplay is happening. Woo! PUBG Woo! just got it, too. Put your pants so. on. Get ready. I don't know Good why job. you didn't have any pants on, but you, maybe you're sitting at home and people don't wear pants at home, apparently. That's a thing. I wear pants in my home, but that's just me. I do, too. I do, too. Yeah. I just, you never know when someone's like, there's a lot of windows in my house, and you just never know. You, know? you never know when it's you just true. get the hell out of Dodge, either, so... Yeah. Well, it's very or true. when like Amazon's gonna knock on your door for like the fourth time that day. Why yeah. didn't they put it all in one box? That's what I asked them to do. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> do you feel better? Did you get that out of your system? <laughs> it's just so much cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, oh. who wants to take the next story? Oh god, I'm in rare form. I'll do it. Because why mm-hmm. not? All right, Sony slashes the price of PlayStation Now by half, adds God of War and GTA V. This comes from, I'm not sure. The internet. The internet. Oh, I believe this comes from Polygon. All right. 
Sony is cutting the monthly cost of its PlayStation Now game streaming service by 50% to $9.99. The change goes into effect immediately, and current subscribers will see a change on their next bill. Today's announcement was made on the official PlayStation blog. PlayStation Now offers subscribers access to a massive rotating library of games that can be streamed from the cloud and downloaded. Titles are pulled from legacy PS3 games as well as more current PlayStation 4 titles. Previously, a monthly subscription to PS Now cost $19.99. Here's a detailed list of the price changes. $9.99 per month, down from $19.99. $24.99 for three months, down from $44.99. And fifty nine ninety nine for an annual subscription, down from ninety nine ninety nine. Sony's also sweetening the deal with the addition of four high profile titles: God of War, Grand Theft Auto V, Infamous Second Son, and Uncharted Four: A Thief's End. All four titles will be available until January second, twenty twenty. In its announcement, Sony stresses that marquee titles such as these will rotate out regularly and only be available for a limited time. The price change is, a likely, is likely a defensive move brought on by the pending public preview test of Project X Cloud, Microsoft's own game streaming service. Project X Cloud's test arrives nearly five full years after the launch of PlayStation Now, but expands its offering well beyond the Xbox One console. Players will be able to launch Gears 5 and Halo 5 Guardians on phones and tablets. Also Stadia. Ooh. Also, yeah, the streaming, the streaming game is getting bigger. They definitely needed to knock the price down. It was too high. Um, it's interesting about like them rotating out more marquee titles, but I wonder how. I don't know. Like, I'm not a streaming person. This is not the. I'm not the person that this would appeal to. But I wonder if that's like considered enough time for them, or if they would like the option to like download it and have it there if you're part of the service at that time, um, instead of just like being like, "Well, you missed it. Goodbye." It's yeah, like put, to put like a reminder on your calendar. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of an odd choice, right? To leave these huge titles in there for only, well, what what month are we in? For like three, three months? Three months. Three months. Yes. And then take them out. I feel like God of War alone is reason enough to subscribe to this. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think all of these games, with the exception of GTA, are absolutely manageable in three months. Uh, but that being said, like, why rotate them out? Right. Leave them in. Especially a game like Infamous Second Son. Yeah. Like that game debuted at the very beginning of the generation and it was a great game. I loved it. But like why rotate it out? Leave it in. Let yeah. people enjoy it. Same with Uncharted Four. It's not like people are clamoring to go buy that game right now. You know, everyone's eyes are focused on Naughty Dog's next next project, which is The Last of Us Part Two. Yep. So it's an interesting choice that they are going to be rotating it out. Like I understand them wanting to rotate in new marquee titles, but I'd say leave them on there. I would the GTA one is the only one that I would think like oh that must be some kind of a licensing deal or a marketing deal that they had to make with Rockstar to keep it in for a specific amount of time because that game just keeps selling. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, that's one of those games where yeah they 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 definitely had to pay to get that guy in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the other ones Sony owns. Yeah, the other leave ones. Yeah, you should just leave them there because yeah. like you already said, Jim Ryan earlier is that uh, you know complacency. Not a great thing. Don't get complacent. Yeah, because you think about Xbox, you think about Game Pass and how cool and great of an offering that is. And I feel like, you know, if Sony were to be like, here's day and date first party titles launching on PlayStation Now or whatever, then it'd be like, oh, goodness, you are really are you really are competing. But right now it kind of feels like they're one foot in, one foot out. But maybe that's the liberty they can take because of how successful they are. But like you just said that he said, Simer, don't get complacent. Figure it out. Also, you have PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus. Figure that out. Gotta combine that shit. What she said. <laughs> Figure it out. PlayStation Now Plus. 
Yeah. PlayStation Plus Ultimate. <laughs> Whatever the Xbox decided to call theirs. Streaming uh, is the way of the future. Hopefully all right, you ready for your, no, your big story? No, I want to read it because she's going to grunt. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Try to she's tell gotta, which one's gotta, mean, which one's the pug. Well, I guess yeah, it's... Well, it, well yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> sure. I, I fell flat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Him, this pug is working as a voice actor for the next Halo video game. This is by the New York Post. The snorts and grunting on the upcoming <sighs> Halo game might sound extraterrestrial, but they're really just the sounds of a very happy pup. Guillos of the Pug has been working hard at 343 Industries Studio, where voice actors and audio experts are gathering to record the world words and sound effects of Halo Infinite, the sixth installment of the first-person shooter video game series. The pint-sized pup, quote, in quotes, best friend. I don't know why that's in quotes. I'm sure he is everyone's best friend, okay? Uh, so 343's in- <laughs> 343 Industries technical art director is lending his unique talent for weird noises to the soundtrack. <laughs> quote, meet our favorite pug, Gyoza, from the post uh, on the Halo Instagram account reads, his grunts, breaths, and excitement are sure to make for some dot 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 interesting sounds in halo infinite fans of the game took to the comments to discuss where gyoza's gurgles and snorts would be used in the upcoming game suggesting various alien species known to populate the series most however were preoccupied with the bug's cute factor (laughs) so santino lala on our facebook uh group page which is facebook.com slash group slash what's good what's good games posted this and i was like oh my god this is just a good feel you know feel good happy story to break up all the PlayStation news this week. So, hey, shout yeah. out to Gyoza the Pug. I mean, this Pug is really cute. Can you hear this when I play it? No. No? no? Okay. I thought maybe the sound would go through Skype, but it's not. Um, but it's <laughs> this Pug is adorable. If you guys have ever heard uh, like a smashed face breed... Like a, like a, a la- have you, or if you've a ever heard or a bulldog labored breathing from a flat faced animal. <laughs> Can it's, someone give me an example? It's adorable. Can someone do an impression into the microphone? An impression. Ooh. That's pretty good. That's okay. a good one. Yeah, so, <laughs> is that what the aliens are going to sound like? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, like you're kind of like choking, but trying to breathe. <laughs> They're like good times. Good times were had by all. I'm so glad we bred them this way. (laughs) (laughs) Poor things. They're just trying to breathe. They're just trying to live, man. They're just trying to live. And now they're alien noises in the next Halo game. Yes. Good job. Adorbs. Um, All right. Let's go on to some more Sony news, shall we? (laughs) Woo. And two two sort of bad, bad ones back to back. I know. Well, I mean, sort of. Well, this one isn't bad. It's not bad. It's, it's kind it of doesn't bode well. It's not, yeah, exactly. But go ahead, Andrea. Uh, the Uncharted movie has a new director again. So this write-up comes from Eurogamer. Sony's beleaguered Uncharted movie, which has so far managed to lose five directors <coughs> over the course of its interminable <laughs> gestation. It has a new man at the helm, Bumblebee and Kubo, and the two-strings director, Travis Knight. Knight, as reported by Deadline last week and belatedly spotted by me today, um, writes, I think this is from Matt. This is Eurogamer. I can't remember which oh. reporter it is. I'd have to look. Uh, sorry, Eurogamer. Replaces 10 Cloverfield Lane director Dan Trachtenberg, who departed the Uncharted movie back in August, having only joined the production in May. Trachtenberg, of course, stepped in after Night at the Museum and Stranger Things director Sean Levy, who had been attached to the project since 2016, scarpered for the pastures 
Wait, what? Scarford? Pa- I don't know what Scarford means, but... Is that a British thing? Scarford for pastures. Scarford for pastures new. Pastures. Is that, is like, that he like left a, for new pastures. Yeah, yeah but... Exactly. Yeah. It's just, at the end okay. of last year. According to Deadline, production on the Uncharted movie will begin early next year, which is a considerable step forward for a project that's done a cracking job at stalling repeatedly since its announcement in 2009. The latest iteration of the movie features a script by Art Markham, Matt Holloway, and Rafe Judkins, and will follow the adventures of a young Nathan Drake with Spider-Man's Tom Holland set to star in the lead role. Given the recent production upheaval, it seems dubious that Sony's Uncharted movie will meet its recently announced December 2020 (laughs) release date. (laughs) But at least we'll always have Nathan Fillion and director Alan Ungar's unofficial Uncharted fam film if it all goes belly up once more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why this is not great news. It's mostly just because it's not a good sign when a project keeps losing people like this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's good that Tom is still attached to the project, but for how long? Who dun, knows dun, dun. how this will go? I, I feel like, okay, so earlier, actually, hold on, let me scroll, make sure I'm not scooping us on something. Because on Twitter today, I saw, I saw the thing about how Tom was like a big reason why Spider-Man made it back into the MCU because mm. he's like, yo, please, <laughs> please fucking figure it out. So I'm like, Tom, you need to work your magic once more. We need you for the Uncharted movie. We need you to keep a director attached to this project. Please, please for the love of God, make it happen. I feel bad for him, though, because he's put in this position where he's in this incredibly successful franchise with one of the most popular characters across the globe. And now he's being put into potentially a real snafu of a situation because look at what's happened to almost every other video game movie ever made with really the exception of Detective Pikachu. Yeah. 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 You know, the good news is that besides, I mean, with the, the, those who aren't in the video game industry probably aren't following this at all. So if, even if you wanted to quietly like sneak out, no one would probably even know it existed. Yeah. Wipe your hands clean. We won't mind. I'm just, but I was, you want to see, Brittany, no, I was going to say, you, I think you were going to say that you want to see how this would play out. I do. I yeah. really think Tom Holland is great. I no, think he's he is. really cut his teeth in the MCU. And when he was originally attached to this project, I think some, you know, hardcore fans of his were like super excited, but a lot of people were like, oh, I don't know. He seems a little unproven. But now I think everyone's a Tom Holland fan. He just yeah. seems like a cool kid. He is yeah. a cool kid. Cool kid. And I'm I mean, sure I don't actually he know that, but <laughs> would do a phenomenal job. But it's just the matter of, I guess, is everything else falling apart? Is like, yeah, because is- you can have a good star and have bad directing and bad writing and bad everything else. And like the actor can only do so much <laughs> with all of that. Well, so yep. let's hope that Tom is given a chance to shine here. I think he could do any- a really good job. Yeah, with any video game movie, I mean, I'm down to go see them. My hopes for them are never that high anyway, so I generally have a good time with them. So, hey, I'm, we're I not expecting... I liked Tomb Raider. I did, too. It I did, too. Yeah. I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. I liked Tomb Raider. I liked Detective Pikachu. Mm-hmm. You know, we're on, a, we're on an okay streak. That's I know true. it wasn't a video game movie in sense tied to it, but Jumanji was also a great movie. That was great. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not impossible. It can be done. It can. It can. Um, speaking of people moving on from projects, PlayStation Worldwide Studios boss Sean Layden is departing. This write-up comes from Polygon, or I should say he departed. Ew. PlayStation Worldwide Studios head Sean Layden is departing according to a company tweet. The tweet reads, It is with great emotion that we announce that Worldwide Studios chairman Sean Layden will be departing SIE. 
his visionary leadership will be greatly missed. We wish him success in future endeavors and are deeply grateful for his years of service. Thanks for everything, Sean. (laughs) We'll get to the tone of that tweet in just a second. A little bit about Sean, if you guys are not familiar. A graduate of Notre Dame, Layden, 58, has been with Sony for more than three decades. Beginning in public relations in 1987, he worked as an assistant to Sony founder Akio Morita. Then he worked as a Tokyo-based producer, subsequently rising through the ranks to hold senior positions such as chief operating officer and then president of PlayStation in the United States. He has become a regular fixture at public-facing events such as E3 and the Game Awards, especially as Sony ramps up towards the launch of PlayStation 5. Layden began his tenure as head of Worldwide Studios in 2016, his most recent achievement was the purchase of developer Insomniac, which was brought into the company's first-party studio system. Neither Layden's Twitter account nor his LinkedIn page makes any mention of his departure. A spokesperson for Sony told Polygon that there is no other information at this moment apart from the original tweet. Oh, boy. So That's we've a seen little an, weird. We've seen enough departures to know that, like, this something ain't right here. You know, the fact that Sean hasn't said anything, the fact that the statement just seems so like said through gritted teeth. Do you know what I mean? It's just a little weird. And the thing is like Sean hasn't been active on his Twitter at all besides he's liking tweets and he sent a heart emoji to um an an account who basically was like singing his praises. It's just a little odd. It's very odd because we've seen other high profile people leave before and generally the way that it works is that they announce they're leaving or there's an official press release, particularly for an executive at Sean's level. Mm -hmm. They generally do like a full story and they blast it out to everybody. Just doing a tweet feels really puzzling, especially given his long, long history with Sony as a company. So I'm not sure what, 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 what went wrong here if it was maybe sean and jim ryan maybe kind of butting heads i remember when jim ryan was promoted when john cadera stepped down after andrew house left which was now a couple of years ago i mean there was this kind of shuffling of the executive structure Mm -hmm. uh, within sony interactive entertainment with both the north american and the european divisions and so if you go back and kind of look at the timeline of all that how that all happened It kind of makes you scratch your head of like, how is their internal org actually working? Maybe what it came down to was two people kind of having a disagreement of thoughts. And so one of them either got pushed out or decided to leave abruptly. I don't know. That's what it seems like, right? Is that Mm -hmm. this was a statement that was put together super quick. Like, we got to get something out. We got to push something. And the fact that Sean's liking all these tweets saying, oh, man, like, not congratulations. Like, you know, because we don't know what he's doing next. But, you know, best of luck to you. You were so great at PlayStation. We're going to miss you. I mean, he's liking these actively. Just actually a few minutes ago, he liked another tweet. So he's seeing all this stuff. But the fact that his Twitter isn't updated, his LinkedIn isn't updated, he's not tweeting anything. It's bizarre. Because you feel like if he was going somewhere new that there would have been a statement like, hey, this is where I'm going. You know, so-and-so is taking my position. They let a little breathing room for that. I'm not surprised he hasn't said if he's going anywhere yet because, number one, maybe he's not yet. (laughs) Maybe he's looking. But then also, even if he doesn't and he has somewhere he's going, you typically wait a little. You don't immediately say, like, I'm going here. But Um, you typically put out a statement, right? Like, I Yeah, it is weird that he's. it's not like, yeah, What's exactly. to come coming next? You know, I yeah. can't wait to talk about what I'm doing next. And at first I was thinking, like, okay, he's he's being like, oh, did he do something shady? You know, 
you never know, right? People like to dig up people's past all the time. Um, but the way this this statement is worded, you know, it sounds more like they're trying to make this as peaceful as possible. And I feel like if Sean did do something that was like, oh, my God, you have to leave now, it would have been a lot less, you know, fake happy, fake nice. So who yeah, knows? yeah, I don't think anything like shady from him. I don't get that vibe from this, but more, I right. think it is more internal politics that got him out more than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, I don't know in which way, obviously, because I don't work there and haven't worked there for a very long time. Uh, but he was always very nice. He, I did work with him at, for a very brief period of time. Nice man. So yeah, I do wish him the best, and I did think he was really smart and knew what he was doing. So. Um, going back to what Andrea was saying earlier about, you know, because that's like, it's all rumor, but that's the heavy rumors that there's, there was a power struggle, struggle between Jim Ryan and Sean Layden. GameDaily.biz got a quote from someone who, of course, wanted to remain anonymous. And they said, quote, this is the, and this is kind of talking about the console and kind of the state of organization currently in Sony. They said, quote, this is the least amount of clarity we've ever had on a new console this close to transition. I believe that the global restructuring is exponentially exasperating the already difficult process of transitioning to a new generation. And now we're getting nervous. Read very nervous. Cute dramatic music. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Interesting. I think that Sony absolutely needs to get their shit together. (laughs) Because here's the thing. They crushed it this generation, and they can only ride that for so long before somebody like xCloud or Stadia comes in and eats their lunch, you know? So we... I think that Xbox has been very clear about the direction that they are going and what their plans are for the future. And Xbox is their number one competitor globally, at least from a hardware perspective. So when it comes to like the digital future that games seems to be ever marching towards, you know, we really don't know much about Sony's plans for their digital streaming for PlayStation 5 because they haven't talked about it. They've talked a lot about how fast it loads and the SSD that's going to be inside and the infrastructure and how cool and powerful it's going to be, but... Hmm. Yeah. Lots to learn here. Dun, dun, dun. But I do want to say I think it's fantastic that he was at Sony for so many years. I think anybody staying at any company, no matter what your job is, for three decades is like almost unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yep, I cannot do that. So clearly, he, you know, he <clears throat> accomplished some stuff. You did good, sir. You should be proud of yourself. Okay. All right, Brittany, this last story is all you. Woohoo! So Brian Shea of Game Informer recently went to Japan and did a whole bunch of awesome coverage on Pokemon Sword and Shield, so you should go over there. I'm just covering some of the things that I personally find interesting, but there's a lot more info over there. All right, so I'm just kind of... Because if you go to their website, Game Informer, they have a whole bunch of different, like, things you can click on it's all like a fancy website so i just pulled some things from two topics the autosave and the xp share all regarding sword and shield and i'll start with the autosave so brian talked to director shigeru Omori, and he said we're talking about i i didn't clip this very well but it's all about autosave he said it's a new feature we're implementing full autosave functionality traditionally in pokemon games it's an important thing to write your reports record your save and that's always been a staple like quote remember to save your game we do have an autosave feature this time where you can just adventure and it'll constantly save the game for those who don't want pokemon sword and shield to autosave fear not you can turn the feature off and stick with the traditional save method where you pause the action and manually save but por no lo's dose 
give me the auto save and then let me manually save it at the same time. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, huh? Because like, typically, if you have auto saves, yeah, you can uh, auto save. Well, okay. So here's the thing. So this is it's kind of controversial, kind of not. I personally think it's a fine feature. I don't mind it. It's like welcome to a hundred years ago. But some people who like to hunt for shiny Pokemon, for instance, you know, they'll like walk into an area, shiny Pokemon, you know, rare yeah, yeah, Pokemon. yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, you wanna you wanna basically re- stop reload, stop reload. Yeah, yeah, and you can do a soft reset, and it sounds like, and I clip this part out, but it sounds like doing a soft reset on the Switch might be a little bit more difficult. It's not as easy as just putting pushing buttons. So obviously, um, if you do have auto save on, you know you don't want that. Yeah, that shiny yeah, catching. That's true. I'm not mm-hmm. a shiny catcher, so that wouldn't really appeal to me. But I, yeah, I get it. Or if you know you're going after a legendary, which I think is something a lot of people who play Pokemon games want. So you accidentally make it faint, or you know we don't kill yeah. Pokemon, you make it faint. They just right? go ah, oh, and, and then they disappear. Ah, what is my <laughs> fainting couch? What if they fainted on a fainting couch? How cute would that be? It'd be really cute. That should become canon. I, I think so. I think so, too. So anyway, so if you have never played a Pokemon game, you're probably thinking, what's the big deal for autosave? Well, you know, it's everything with Pokemon is a big deal. All right. And the next thing is it's a little, regarding a little thing called XP share. So I'll just read this. It is now baked into Pokemon Sword and Shield. One of the smaller yet interesting pieces of info we learned involves XP share, an item that splits the experience earned in battle to all Pokemon in the player's party. According to director Shigeru Omori, Pokemon Sword and Shield does away with this item. However, when we followed up with Omori about whether that means we need to train up each individual Pokemon, he confirmed to us that every Pokemon in your party gets equal experience automatically as you progress through the game. So typically in traditional XP share um, was an item or you had to get it in some sort of fashion and then what it does like like we just said is it gives all the Pokemon in your party XP <clears throat> sometimes it's not available to like maybe halfway through the game or quarter way through the game so now that it's automatically baked in like it was in Pokemon Let's Go people are yet again they're like oh my god is this a good thing or a bad thing because people want to be able to shut it off because a lot of folks think that with the XP share automatically baked in it's far too easy of a game and people like the strategy of building up Pokemon individually. And especially, I'm sure if you play competitively, you know, you might want the option to individually train a Pokemon. I'm not sure because I've never done that. Is there competitive Pokemon? Oh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's like a whole championship series. <laughs> Did not know. Yeah. I covered it for IGN it's all about back battles, in the day. That that would exist. Turns out it does. It does. <laughs> it very much does. Yeah, and people take it very seriously. You know, because then this kind of goes back to the autosave is that if you're trying to catch a specific Pokemon or breed Pokemon for competitive play, at least I think this is how it works. You know, there's certain personality traits or certain characteristics of a Pokemon that you want to look for if you want it to be better at certain attacks and certain stats. Like there's all sorts of like hidden stats behind the face of Pokemon. Like, yeah, there's already like the basic stats you can see. And then there's like all sorts of other shit that most people don't touch. But if you are a competitive Pokemon player, you are... Deep in that rabbit hole, oh, digging yeah. out all this info. Yeah, it definitely is a thing that, yeah, you can get real in the weeds with it, but I've never done that. So, like I said, more cool information on Game Informer regarding Pokemon. And then this isn't a Game Informer thing, but on October 4th, starting at 6 a.m. Pacific, there's going to be a 24-hour live stream about Pokemon. So if you go on Pokemon's website, it says, starting at 6 a.m. PT, hours. I know, on Friday, yeah, October 4th, 
We will broadcast live footage for 24 hours from a camera set up in Glimwood Tangle, a strange forest located deep within the Galar region. This is your chance to get to know the various Pokemon that make their home in this forest. You may notice things that surprise you. And then via the YouTube channel, it says, Sonia needs her help, trainers. Next week, she'll be setting up a live camera and conducting some Pokemon observation research in Glimwood Tangle, a strange forest area in the Galar region. This is so funny to me because it's like, <laughs> wait, so you're pretending like you're setting up a camera in the game and just watching Pokemon walk by as if this was like setting it up in an Indian jungle or something and you're waiting for a tiger to like chill. Yeah, that's somewhere. kind of what it sounds like. It sounds like for some reason Sonia needs our help. All she's doing is setting up a camera and conducting some observation research. My best guess is that it's going to be going for 24 hours. At some point, some new unannounced Pokemon is going to make its way across the screen. And oh my goodness, what was that? Yeah, I guess what I'm curious about is I'm like, did you guys make a 24 hour video to run <laughs> or like, is this randomly generated? How is this working? I'm so I'm really curious. I would be curious too, also to know how how they're doing this. Maybe it's gonna be like when Twitch played Pokemon. Do you guys remember that and oh, how yeah. huge That's that was? Set up like a completely different way though. Twitch plays Twitch plays is like it's much different than like we are setting up a camera in a game that's not announced. And so yeah. it might be fun if they did something like that though. I, it would be super cool. Um. But I'm wondering, this must just be like some sort of weird debug build where they just put a floating camera somewhere that doesn't actually, like, you wouldn't be able to do this, obviously, in game and then just leave it. <laughs> but then I, yeah. And, like, I guess they could also have debug commands where if, like, something isn't happening, what they, they're just like, okay, go, <laughs> cue the whatever. <laughs> I wonder if they just have a, like, a stagnant screen of the forest and every now and again they're going to implement like new scenes so it looks like it's seamless I don't know you could also do that yeah that's why yeah. I'm like I'm curious as to whether or not they literally have just have a video oh. <laughs> that's like nothing for a really long time and then they cut away or if it is like in a debug version of the game and you know yeah it's it's cute it's very Pokemon-y I'm just you know someone out there is going to stay awake for this whole damn thing and watch this whole thing and I I would I'm ever the optimist, but I would say I wouldn't expect any groundbreaking announcements from this. So maybe like save your sleep, save your, your sanity, you know, take a few naps throughout the day and you can look at the the overview after it's all done. Yeah, you, you'll get the highlights later, either on yeah. the show or on Twitter, probably faster. Yeah. But anyway, it's a cute thing. Yeah, it's it's good for you guys. You you do. Yeah, it's nice to end on a cute note. I'm sure there'll yeah. be a really adorable Pokemon. All the special ones that they've showed so far have been... I've loved them. Oh. I love the Bong Pokemon. I love the Fancy the Surfetch. <laughs> it's all great. The Sign me up. Yeah. Yes, they're fantastic. Yamper. Let's go, Yamper. Yeah. Go, Pokemon. All right. Well... Hopefully you guys enjoy your time watching 24 hours of Pokemon, or should I say enjoyed your time, because by the time this podcast comes out, it will have already happened. And maybe it will just be the tail end of it. Or no, starting on Friday, it'll just be the beginning. Yeah. Interesting. You can listen to the podcast while watching Pokemon. (laughs) Exciting. (laughs) And on that note, let's take our first break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we've been playing Stick with us. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome 
Welcome back, everybody. It's segment two of the What's Good Games podcast. And this is where we talk about what we've been playing and give you our hands-on impressions from any preview events that we may have gone to. This week, we've got some really fun games. Of course, you know what I'm going to talk about. Oh. Before we get to that, I get to tell you that this week's hands-on impressions are brought to you by Dave. Overdraft fees. It's time for them to die. Surprise bank charges over a couple of bucks in your account are useless, painful, and nothing but pure profit for big banks. Thanks to the Dave app, you never have to pay an overdraft fee again. Dave is the number one budgeting app in America because it saves you from overdraft fees, it tells you about upcoming bills, and it can advance you $75 from your next paycheck with no credit check and no interest, putting an end to overdraft fees for good. Get the Dave app for just $1 per month. That's $12 a year, which is way less than an overdraft fee. And you'll never have to pay one again. Dave will help you budget for upcoming expenses, text you if you're spending too much, and if you need cash fast, advance you $75 in just 90 seconds. Mark Cuban is an investor in Dave because he got crushed by overdraft fees in his 20s, and he wants you to never pay an overdraft fee again. Three million people already use Dave to save up to $1,000 a year in overdraft fees, and that's why it's the number one budgeting app in the app store. I certainly have suffered from late fees and overdraft fees in my time, and having a reminder is definitely helpful, especially if they text you. Because, you know, it gets lost in your email inbox, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, I missed the date, or I overspent. Dave can help you. Go to dave.com slash games. That's D-A-V-E dot com slash games because it really helps the show out, you guys, if you let Dave know that you heard about them here on What's Good Games. And then you can download Dave and never have to pay another overdraft fee ever again. It's immediate savings. Go now to dave.com slash games. Spells just like it sounds. D-A-V-E dot com slash games. Overdraft fees? More like overdraft fees. <laughs> you liked my dad joke. Just admit it. It was your Dave was joke. I giggled. <laughs> exactly. All right. Now let's talk about some games. So do you guys want me to talk about Destiny now or Destiny later? Go on with your bad self, baby girl. Okay. I mean, so okay. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Since you said so. <laughs> uh, um, I wore my Iron Banner shirt from Insert Coin Tees just for today because I'm very excited that Shadowkeep is out. And um, thanks to Insert Coin for hooking me up with this. I love this shirt. I have been having a blast with Shadowkeep. So I knew that I was going to enjoy this because Destiny just keeps getting better with each iteration. And I had the incredible pleasure of having a deep dive conversation with Luke Smith on We Have Cool Friends with Greg Miller, our friends, of course, over at Kind of Funny. If you guys missed that interview, you can see it at youtube.com slash kind of funny or wherever you listen to podcast services. And I was really pumped after talking to him. I mean, I was excited when they announced it, but I had to admit that I also, as I mentioned on this show, was a little hesitant about going back to the moon, about fighting the hive again, about going back to <laughs> Sorry, the same the, locations. That phrase, like, sort of out of context is sort of funny. <laughs> like, going uh, back to the moon. Because <laughs> I, I, I was laughing because I, I think I was with you when this was revealed. And I think your exact words were going back to the fucking moon. <laughs> yes, I remember that too. Yep. I, I, I definitely, before I played it, was very skeptical, hesitant. Go. 
maybe even a little frustrated slash ranty about the moon because I spent so much time farming on the moon that I was like, I don't want to spend any more time on the moon. But now that I've been back on the moon, I'm kind of in this nostalgic sweet spot with rose-colored glasses on in a way that I was not anticipating. And the performance improvements that Bungie made with this update have been blowing my mind. The first thing I noticed when I booted this up and started running around and shooting enemies was that it feels like they did some fantastic work on the frame rate. So I'm playing on uh, PS4 Pro, and the first thing I said when I was in clan chat with some of the What's Good Guardians was like, this looks like the PC version looks. Obviously, the PC version is still going to look even better, but the frame rate and how smooth it felt is something that I have yet to experience with any first-person shooter on any console that I've ever played. Like To me, this has now set the bar with how a first-person shooter should play and look and feel on console. And I don't know what they did, but it's like magic. (laughs) (laughs) So it looks beautiful. It plays great. And they really made Shadowkeep a love letter to Destiny 1 in a number of ways that I'm... I can't even fully express. It was really fun for me to get to play uh, pretty much all of this content with the What's Good Guardians. Shout out to to Runjamin13 and uh, to Susu Dip for rolling with me through the entire campaign. We had a really fun time playing together. And hearing Ren talk about <laughs> talk about the lore is great because I, I know a lot about the lore of Destiny. I don't know half as much as Runjaman knows about the lore of Destiny. Did you finish all of the campaign? Yes, I did. How long did it take you? Um, So, as you guys may have heard, there were some network problems on launch day. (laughs) Just a little bit about that, yes. Yeah, so the network problems were so severe that they had to pull the entire game down. Oh, Uh, They they pulled D1 and D2 offline. And it was offline for probably three hours, roughly, uh, maybe four hours, depending on you know which region you're playing in and how how early you were able to get in and what your place was in the queue to get back on once they turn the servers live again. Um, and that was pretty that to me that's a pretty catastrophic thing that happened to them tech wise. But I believe the number that I saw was that they had. 15 million concurrents playing on launch day? I saw that same number. That's insane. That is bonkers number. I could not believe uh, the, the amount of traffic that this game was getting. So... I am super excited for Bungie. I hope it brought a bunch of new people into the fold. Clearly it did. (laughs) Yeah. I know that there was some hardcore uh, Destiny players that were like, maybe you shouldn't have also launched New Light the same day you were launching Shadowkeep. Maybe you should have put them on different days. But I think it was smart of them to, in theory, do it at the same time. Because then if you hook somebody in with the free-to-play version, you know, they're already set up to purchase the expansion, right? But... Of course, the downfall was it crashed the servers in this really terrible way. And it, had it's, to pull uh, it out. you know, temporarily killed the game. But other than that, yeah. pretty good. <laughs> so when did you get in? That's what she said. That is what um, she said. So I started out, I was actually able to log in right when the game launched at 10 a.m. Pacific time and get the first couple of missions underway. And then they shut the servers down, I think, between 12 and 1 or a little uh, around like 1 p.m. 
And then I got back online around 4.30-ish, I believe, 4.35. Um, and then I played until the wee hours of the okay. morning. Um, and then I finished the campaign today before we um, started recording the show. And I did the Nightfall, which was really exciting. Uh, the new Nightfall system is something that I'm pumped about <laughs> because I always felt that the Nightfalls were really uh, unapproachable to casual players. Not that I consider myself a super casual player, but I'm not a daily Destiny player. I can't be. Like, I have a lot of other responsibilities and a lot of other games that I have to give my time to. And so I always felt like unless I had the right fire team or it was the right, you know, loadout for the modifiers for that week or it was the right strike that I it was just too much time until you get to your, your light level high enough. And then, of course, you kind of, you know, can do it with your eyes closed, so to speak. But I digress. <laughs> I think the amount of content that they have shown so far in the mm, seven to eight hours of Destiny 2 Shadowkeep that I've played is fantastic. The odes to key characters and key moments from vanilla Destiny and, and beyond is such a testament to their community and such a... I think, like I said, a love letter to people who have been with Destiny since the beginning, but they didn't make it unapproachable for new players. And I think that's really interesting. They're doing something in the crossover between Destiny and Destiny 2 that makes me kind of scratch my chin a little bit and be like, hmm, I wonder if the theories are correct. Because there's a lot of threads that I've seen both on the Reddit and some of the other forums about people speculating, you know, is Bungie moving to a unified world Mm. where players who are playing in Destiny 2 will have access to the the key areas, the raids and a bunch of the other activities that were in Destiny. Because it's really sad that that is a live service game and a shared world experience that doesn't have a lot of player population because everybody's moved on to Destiny 2. And it's like, does that just die in the vine because nobody wants to go back? What if in this new MMO future that Luke Smith is bringing to Destiny 2, they just bring all of the content under the same world and everybody can play all of the content in the same open world space? Uh, I mean, that would make it a lot more appealing. Yeah, sure. right. Especially if they still had like went with like a free to play version of it that was didn't have everything but had some of it. You mm-hmm. can just jump in. Destiny one would obviously look a lot better. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, do that. Go ahead. I mean, I probably still won't play until you add something else. But you know, it'd be a good start. Just add capes. Just add lots of capes. I mean, at this point, I do kind of want to see another sort of a class or something else to like play with in that world. I think that would be really fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For me, it's first person shooters for me, I tend to burn out of really quick anyway, which mm. we'll also get to when we talk about Borderlands, but <laughs> that's a me problem. That's not like <laughs> not a you see, problem. Like, yeah, and see I'm I'm the opposite. Like I love the gameplay, I love the gunplay, I love what they're doing with mods. I'm still figuring it out. The armor 2.0 system that they've introduced, I think is really interesting and giving players so much choice and how they want to spec everything and learning what all of the new currencies do and some of the quality of life improvements that they've added. I'm really excited to deep dive into it and see all that they've changed and really experience it for myself and and in place in place some more stuff like the the stuff that they're doing with the nightmares and like the creepiness of it all and the darkness and all the story elements they're bringing in are opening a lot of doors that 
could be really fun to go down. And I don't want to say too much about the story because there's some really deep, cool lore stuff that I think people who are big fans of Destiny in Destiny's lore want to experience for themselves. So um, I'm going to leave a lot of it unsaid, but know that the <laughs> gameplay feels great. It's looked better and played better than it literally ever has in all of its history. I'm excited for this new era of Destiny 2 Shadow Keep under Bungie exclusively. You know, launch day woes aside, <laughs> it's one of the best functioning multiplayer games I've ever played. I think it's right up there, probably in the top three, if not the top two multiplayer games for functionality. And I say that as somebody who experienced a ton of bugs playing Gears 5, uh, which we'll talk about later. But I love it. I absolutely love it. If you've been hesitating about getting back in, if you've been waiting to hear what people have to say, if you care at all about my thoughts and opinions about Destiny, <laughs> now is the time. Jump back in. It makes me Just happy that you're on good terms with Destiny because I remember for a while it was like you talked about it almost every week because I think there's a lot of updates coming and so something to talk about. And it was either like you're up here with it or you're down here. You're up here or you're it's down here. It's a very here. tumultuous relationship that you have. <laughs> and I'm it's happy true. that you guys are on good terms, that you're happy together, that you're vibing. <laughs> it's it's a good it's a good moment in this relationship, which is always nice to see. Yeah. As friends, yeah. Simon and I have seen you guys through the lowest of lows and now it looks like you're in your highest of highs. It's like when, yeah, like your friend breaks up with their boyfriend and then gets back together with yeah. them and they're Exa- like really happy exactly and you're it. like, well, I'm really happy for you too. Like, <laughs> hey, we've, I've never broken up with Destiny. We've just taken... You were pretty close. You know, we just breaks. took a little time, but we didn't actually like call it quits. We just, you know, decided to see other people for a we while. We were on a break. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my gosh, the finishers, the new That's finisher animations said. are so cool. I had to use every ounce of restraint that I have to not spend like $50 in silver to buy all the finishers <laughs> from the store. Um, so the new finisher move for people who aren't aware is essentially like a, like a when an enemy has like a little tiny sliver of health left, you can you hit R3 on the controller and or whatever button on uh, the keyboard and it does this really fancy animation for like a final blow strike and you can get all of these different customizable animations for your final strike and they're so much fun to execute oh so excited yay i'm happy for you thanks don't worry i'll be talking more about destiny in the weeks to come great so all right looks like i'm never (laughs) gonna play any more of borderlands 3 because you won't be playing with me and i will not play this game by myself I, I have to finish Borderlands. I absolutely do. If nothing else, because I love Borderlands, but also for Game of the Year considerations, I must finish Borderlands 3. But I love Borderlands. I'm absolutely going back. It was just unlucky timing that Borderlands launched while I was moving, and then I didn't get to start it until almost two weeks late, and now Destiny is here. Well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So have you been playing Steimer? I only played, I think I'm like level eight or nine, I think maybe eight, because I was trying to catch up to you, Andrea, and like be in a mm-hmm. relatively similar spot. Um, but honestly, like so far to me, it's just like capital F fine. I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think I'm not super into it and I wouldn't play this game by myself. I think I will have a lot of fun with you and like have, I think for me, Borderlands is always for context or if you're listening to this, I have always been this way about Borderlands. I've always enjoyed it. Um, but 
I cannot play these games alone. If I play them alone, I won't play them. Because um, I just don't find them interesting enough for a solo play. That's just a personal opinion. No, I'm with you. <laughs> um, and, but then I find them really, really fun when I have a good group going and you're just running around shooting shit, having crazy guns. Like That is super appealing to me. Um, but just on my own, not, not so much. Not so much. I was also irritated because at the... One of the first things you do where you meet um, the twins, or what, they're not twins, but yeah, the Calypso. Oh, twins. they are twins. Okay, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. So I was like, are they twins? <laughs> they're, they're definitely not. But like, <laughs> in terms of they're what fraternal the, twins, I think. Yeah. Um, they basically like you went through this mission, you did the thing, and then at the end of the mission, it basically you could pick up another side mission that is almost the exact same mission you ran through, but in quote unquote VR. And I was like, oh. Mm. I don't know. I don't know that I don't want to run through the exact same area I just did, but with a blue filter on it. That to me was a little like, eh, this feels like yeah. filler and I don't like it. <laughs> like, Your filler radar. I went was off. like, my filler radar went off and I was like, this is the very <laughs> beginning of the game. God damn it. Like, no, I don't want, I don't want to feel like that. Um, but I, like, the game does look good. It definitely has a lot of texture popping. It has like a lot of, it hasn't hitched that much. There's a little bit of frame rate drop sometimes, but for the most part, it runs fine. I'm playing on PS4 Pro. Uh, and I'm just really waiting for someone to play with me. <laughs> oh, I'll play with you. I've, I've, I've gone flack, which so flack actually helps because you at least get a pet right. and I don't feel quite as alone when I have, <laughs> yeah. when I have my broodless with me. And so that, that has helped. Um, and I also really do enjoy Flax personality. All of those lines are very me and I relate to them very well. <laughs> so I, I'm getting enjoyment out of Flack personally. I don't really love that Vaughn is already here. I think also the fact that Vaughn is in the beginning of the game is pissing me off and I just want him to go away. He does. Mm-hmm. He comes and goes very quickly and I'm with you. Not only is he a super annoying character, I'm like, Why? after everything with this character, like why is this the first dude that we see? But once you're past that, he's long gone. So hopefully you can just bear, bear through that opening section with him and then you probably (laughs) won't see him again. Good. Cause I would like to not. Yeah. I was like, really? He's the first fucking one. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Nobody wants this chuckle fuck around. Get him out of here. (laughs) He wasn't even that important before. (laughs) Exactly. Funny. No, Sandler, I'm, I'm with you. I've, I enjoy Borderlands. Like I've talked about, you know, I think the sense of humor is like right at my alley. I think it's fun to play. Um, I think, the, you know, the little witty one-liners always get me. But for some reason, it's just like a game that I wouldn't play by myself. And I don't know if it's because it's a shooter, because like you, like really long first-person shooters like this can kind of like turn me off a little bit. Um if it's an RPG or something that's a little different. But yeah, like I haven't picked this up in probably a week or so, mostly because I've been obsessed with Link's Awakening. Um, but yeah, I, I was thinking about that today. I'm like, why haven't I gone back to Borderlands 3? Because every night Jason's like, hey, let's play Borderlands. And I'm like, but Link's Awakening. But mm-hmm. now that I finished it, maybe I'll go back maybe to it. Maybe you'll feel like it. Yeah. Well, if you I, and Jason want to play, I, I'll or be an the Xbox. third. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, rip. You know, hey, we just read a story earlier about how crossplay can now come to everything. So yeah. No, but it's like it's a weird thing because when I'm playing, I have a really great time. But I think yeah, I just I can't play by myself. Yeah, it's just an interesting one of those games like where unless there's like a quote unquote date scheduled, mm-hmm. it's not something I think about. It's not something that draws me. I'm not like oh my god, I really like I'm itching to go play. I'm yeah. not even. I'm like begging 
Andrea and John at this point to play with me. And I she's even- texted she's texted multiple times and I feel bad because we're either like not at home or I'm in the middle of something else. Destiny. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, Steimer. Cause no, you, she was she finished yeah. gears right as we were like getting into the middle of gears. Mm. And so she was like oh. <laughs> Is it Kitty? John Oh wow. Oh. John brought us a cat. <laughs> oh, he's just laying there. He's, he's on a magic carpet ride. Oh, you can just leave it cracked, please. Don't lock him in. <laughs> oh, look, see, he's freaking out. Yeah, he's like, don't shut the door. Just leave it up. There you go. Is he gone? He'll be back. He left. Poor the cat poor came baby. back the very next day. Do you guys ever remember that song? No. Oh, well, never mind. Uh, I was Someone on, people on Twitter will know what it is. Come to me, my minions. Steimer will sing a song. Andrew and I are like, what the fuck? And then people in comments are like, oh my god, Steimer, you're my spirit animal. And I'm like, yeah, because we all know the weird shit from when we were kids. But anyways, yes, I've been begging Andrea and John to play. And I don't even... And the funnier part to me is that I'm not even that eager to play this game. I am just like, I know that I need to play it for work and I would like to get it done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Maybe, Steimer, this is one of those games that you just pass. No, I mean, I'm going to definitely... I've played Borderlands with Andrea and John before, yeah. obviously old one, older ones, um, and we have a great time. So, like, I know that that will be fun when we finally yeah. get there, but it's just kind of waiting for that, waiting for that point. You should play Goose Game. Until Goose I, Game. I downloaded it on my Switch. It's there. I've been not playing it, obviously. I tweeted about <laughs> that today. I've been, and for really no reason, I just have gotten home from work the past two days and have just wanted to, like, sit and veg and not yeah. think about anything. That's fair. But now I have, I start, I just started it before the show. So I'm hoping I'll, that'll like get me going. And then. Did you talk about, um, Catherine at all on the show previously? Did I miss it? I've talked about it before previously, but I stopped, uh, I hadn't finished it. And, um, I just finished that one also over the weekend. And that was mostly because of the world's greatest feature. That has ever existed. Known as mm. autoplay. Mm. <laughs> because without autoplay, I can guarantee you, even on easy, I would never have been able to finish Catherine. Because holy shit, the ending levels of that game are batshit crazy. And I was just like, oh my god, this is the easy version of this. I don't... And I yes. probably wouldn't really... Actually, the easy easy is looked okay. Still would have been stressful. <laughs> probably manageable one level up hell no and like anything higher than that absolutely there's no way that that would ever 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 get done mm-hmm. um but i was yeah i was really curious about the story i'd already obviously kind of known because i've been around on the internet <laughs> since that game has come out but it was fun to see it actually play out um i thought a little bit of it was weird only in the sense that as i've mentioned before on the show but if you you don't remember part of what they've added in Catherine Fullbody is a new character, but the way that that arc plays out is super odd, quite frankly, mm. and a little off-putting. Mm. And then just abruptly is like it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> and so I was a little confused <laughs> as to why that w- was even involved. Um, but overall, I thought it was an interesting game. It's an interesting. It's sort of like looking at. Like a, so are they called time capsules or something? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, time capsule. Yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. like it's like it was like a weird. It's a weird time capsule of a game. If you want to see what life was like uh. back then, <laughs> because 
it's just like a lot of it and people have have tweeted about this or written articles i think i've seen a few around of um some of the problematic things that the game kind of brings up or themes Mm. and and stereotypes um but obviously if you're looking at it from strictly kind of a a fun game point of view the puzzles are going to kick your ass 100 percent if you like puzzles and you want to challenge this game (laughs) will give it to you absolutely uh, but and then also the nice part too is that if you're like I just kind of wanted to see what the story was about and experience it, autoplay is your best friend. Uh. Turn it on and do not feel bad because toward the end I was like I can't. I'm so tired. I just want to like play through the other stuff, and I did. Uh, and it was it was good. I mean I'm glad that I finally finished it because that goal has been years in the making. You did it, Steimer. Sort of nice job. The game really did it for me, but that's fine. But you pushed the button. I did push the button and I made the choices and I got what I think is quote unquote good ending. So yay me. You I'm did not it. a total shit bag. No, look at you. Oh, shit bag. Look Why at you. It? What? Yeah. What the fuck girl? No, you finished gears five. You finished Catherine. You're working on goose game. I've been trying yeah. to make borderlands three happen. Yeah. You're a hardcore gamer. Am I? Oh my God. Hair flip. Oh <laughs> yes. Um, what have I been doing? Okay. So I finished Link's Awakening, which I have nothing really new to add to that, but it's a beautiful, gorgeous little gem. And if you have not experienced Link's Awakening, this is a really good way to do it. It's really cool to experience a game, you know, from the nineties for the first time. Cause like, you know, classics, they just don't make the classics like we used to anymore. Um, I've been playing more Deadly Premonition. I'm a little over half. I think there's 26 chapters, and I'm on chapter 19. So I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. This game just gets weirder and weirder, and I love it more and more. And I'm so excited there's a sequel coming out. This game pisses me off sometimes, but I love it so much that I accept it for what it is and all of its flaws. And it's just bizarre as hell. And it's so weird because you can do missions early on in the game where you get infinite ammo for your weapons. Like, I have an infinite shotgun. I have infinite um, submachine gun, infinite magnum. And it's like, all right. Because the combat in this game really isn't an integral part of the story. I feel like it's just kind of there. They're like these weird possessed, like, dead bodies that, like, try to kill you. And they all, like, groan and and it's great. So they're zombies, basically? Kind of. My understanding is that they're just spirits that have inhabited dead bodies, and they're all like gray. So they're possessed zombies. Possessed dead bodies. But I think these bodies have been dead for a while. You know, like they've been six feet under for a while. They don't look mm, great. So they're super rotten. Yeah, they're not smell they're, real good. No, I mean they're not like the flesh isn't coming off. You see, Simer. It's just more of like a. I don't know. It's like it's just a weird thing. They're all dead. All right. They all groan, make weird noises, and it's totally my thing, and I love it. Anyway, I'm loving this game. But the the latest and greatest is I purchased an Oculus Quest after we talked about it. Was that last week? Mm-hmm. I think it was yeah, last I think week. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I started thinking about it, and I really like the idea of the, the link cable coming in where you can turn it essentially into a rift um, coming in November. And I thought, hey, I really like VR. I've always liked VR, but it's just there's too many cables, and I'm a person of convenience. And it just hasn't been convenient. So I just kind of like shoved everything into a corner. But with the quest, I was like, I can do this. So I got the quest. I got it in yesterday. And I played a little bit of Beat Saber. And boy, oh boy, that game's intense and fun. Dude, I love Beat Saber. Yeah. It was. It's super fun. It is super fun. And I see how people lose weight playing that shit. Because, oh, man, you you really can get into it. Yes. Uh, that was really fun. I wish... Because I saw a YouTube video, and I understand the licensing issues with all this, of someone playing Beat Saber to a Zelda um, dubstep remix thingy. 
oh my god, it looks so cool. It looked so amazing, but I did play a lot of KDA. But anyway, I guess it's not super easy and probably illegal to like play those games. I don't know how it works. I'm not smart enough to figure out how to get those games onto my quest, but I wish I could. I think that those like if you're importing your own songs, it's only on the Rift version, I believe, Uh. because there's a different I think there's a different licensing agreement for the songs that are available on the Quest version versus the other one. I think it's I need to double check, but I think it's similar to how like certain games have people build mods that are like unofficial. Yeah. And probably not legal or licensed in like any way. Thomas yeah. the Tank Engine and Skyrim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The world's greatest mod. It is the best. So I played that for a bit and then I started playing um, Journey of the Gods, which is Turtle Rock's game. And I played this actually at GDC last year or was it this year? I don't even, I think it was this year, yeah, at the Oculus event. And I I haven't gotten past the, um, the, as far as I got during that demo at GDC. But it's just, it's such a cool little game because it has, it gave me that moment. So this is a game where you, and this is, this is the other thing. When I'm playing VR, it's hard for me to focus on the story. I think because I'm so, like, entranced by everything that's going on around me. So I don't really even know what I'm doing other than the fact that I have a crossbow, a sword, and a shield, and I can turn into, like, a god lady and pull up trees and shrink them back down and then, like, punch big building or big crystals and make them give me stones and stuff, and it's great. Anywho, what's really interesting about this game is that it gives you a sense of scale in a really cool way that I think you can only experience in VR. And, you know, all of us playing games for so long, we all know those moments in adventure games. Like, think of God of War, for example, like the serpent, right? And you're just, like, seeing this thing, and that's impressive enough. But actually being in VR and having a huge enemy towering over you and you having to look up at it, it's just a really, really cool feeling. So I got to do that fight again, and then I got to dink around with some of the god powers and whatnot. I only maybe played for, like, a half an hour or so. But, I mean, I'm really impressed with the technology. I haven't picked up a headset, really, I guess, since the Oculus or the Vive way back when. And I've dabbled a little bit in PSVR, but nothing crazy. And I'm just so impressed with how far the technology's come in the short amount of time that, you know, VR has kind of become available for, you know, purchased by the the masses. And it's just neat that, you know, you can have a wireless headset that, you know, you can hold these controllers and it can detect what your fingers are doing. So you can push buttons, you can punch things, and it's so responsive, not to mention we're getting the hand tracking coming. I think that's next year. And I'm just really, it's really exciting uh, where VR is going. The thing that I noticed, though, and I don't remember noticing this, so maybe, like, my neck got weaker. I don't know. Is I felt like the headset was kind of heavy. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it makes sense. You have everything, like, up in that headset, right? It needs everything to, like, live. you got to do some, yeah, some, like, neck ups. I guess, yeah. Get good. Get strong. I know. i got to, like, get a beefy neck. Um, <laughs> and so maybe I can wear neck, my neck pillow that I use on the airplane when I travel. Maybe not. Oh, God, no. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it has, like, the side straps, and it has the strap on the top. So you can adjust it. But, you know, with VR headsets, there's that, there's that sweet spot, right, where you have to have it just right. Um, and I found that it kept kind of sliding down a little bit, but that could have been... Okay, you had that problem, too. I know you have, like, yeah. a tiny head, so I didn't know if that was, like, an Andrea issue, but now I'm realizing it's not really. It's, uh, I think it could just be, you know, a flaw of the current tech. I don't know. But what's nice about it, it's under the goggles. There's a little switch, that, or a little switch, yeah, you can move from left to right, and it adjusts the lens. So it can really help focus it even further, so you don't have to be adjusting it as much. But 
Uh, I really like it so far. And there's Exorcist VR coming, or it's already on there, Exorcist Legion, which is a game I played, I think, last year. And then Dread Halls is also coming to it, which is like a first-person dungeon crawler with a whole bunch of scary enemies trying to kill you. I love that VR. sounds terrifying. It no, sounds thank you. like a no thanks for me, too. <laughs> right up my alley. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, and it's just cool to see all the support coming to it. There's a lot of upcoming games that I'm excited about. So, yeah, VR. It's great. So to clarify, you can import custom songs on Oculus Quest now, but it requires an external tool. So they introduced a Beat Saber level editor for Vive and for Rift, where you can upload a song and then you can like hand place all the notes um, if you want to build a level and then upload it to, to the game. And that there's a special way... I think by enabling developer mode that you can get the custom songs on the quest version of it as well. But it kind of requires you to use this special external tool, like anything PC related with, you know, a bunch of different software and tools and tutorials and wizards and things like that that you need to use. So good luck. (laughs) You know, that's why it's never going to happen. But thank you for looking into that. No worries. But they did say on this article, which I found on uploadvr.com, uh, the Beat Saber has a long history of unofficial modding. However, Beat Games were wary of the copyright and ethical issues around opening up such a system, of course, because music licensing is a very touchy place for legalities around copyright. Um, the company expressed frustration of the quality of the mods, which could lead to bad reviews for the game itself, which I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised about. But there is a number of them. So if you are an enterprising young ladder last that wants to figure out how to make your own songs. It is possible. It's possible. But yeah, it's fun. I like the quest technology, man. It, it's come a long way and I think it's really neat. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah man. Cool, man. Well, listen, mm. I was going to talk about gears, but I think what we decided to do is make it our final segment of the show. We're going to do a gears five spoiler cast. So if you guys have not finished the story campaign, you're probably going to want to skip out of the last segment of the show. But if you have and you want to hear what we think about it, because, oh boy, that ending was spicy, um, <laughs> then stick around. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back, everybody. It's the final segment of the What's Good Games podcast. This is where we have a feature of the show. And this week, we are talking about Gears 5. That's right. It's going to be a spoiler cast. We're going to be talking about major story plot points. So as I warned you at the end of last segment, if you haven't finished the campaign and you do not want the story spoiled for you, maybe put a pin in this episode. Press that pause button and come back after you finished it. Uh, because we're going to be talking about what we did in the game, how we felt about it, and of course, the choice that we made. All right, let's get into it. So ladies, we've all finished Gears 5. Yes. I played the entire thing co-op with John. Britt, I know you played with Steimer and Jason, which you guys talked about on the show last They only week. played with me for one section of that game. I played most of it solo. Okay. And then, so Br- Britt, you played the whole thing co-op though. Right. Okay. So... Steimer, as somebody who played the majority of the game solo, do you think that that helped or hindered your experience? 
Uh, for Gears, I don't know that it really made a difference for me. I've always generally liked third-person shooters more than first-person shooters. It's something about attachment, I think, visually to the characters um, and the world. So I have an easier time going through those campaigns. I also think they did a decent job switching things up, uh, you know, in terms of level design here uh, and a lot of other things that they've made with, like, the the bits of open world that they tossed in, which I have mixed feelings about. But um, <laughs> So they did enough variety, though, that... I never felt bored. Also, this is a fairly short game in the scheme of things, so I was able to kind of fly through no problem. But holy smokes, I was surprised how much faster it went when Brittany and Jason teamed up with me. Because I was like, when I had mentioned this before, um, basically I screwed up the loading thing and ended up, we had to start all the way at the very beginning of a level instead of at the very end of a, like a whole section. And I was really mad at myself. I was like, don't worry about it. Just go on. But we blew through that thing in like 20 minutes together. But it Super took me like quick. an hour or more by myself just because the AI is not as great. You're talking about the matriarch fight specifically. Yeah. So, yeah, I basically um, accidentally punted us to the back at the very beginning of the facility when you first walk in and like mm-hmm. have to turn the turrets off because they'll kill you otherwise. Uh, and then you meet Niles, the stupid fucking robot, and then yep. go from there. But because uh, I originally had just intended for them to come into the matriarch fight, it had the checkpoint right there. Simon, do you remember when Niles bugged and he yes. wasn't moving? <gasps> it was oh. so funny funny because on my screen we were because he needed to like scoot his little robot ass to the door to open it but he was like just bugged and like in the middle of the walkway so Steimer all I see on my screen is Steimer her character I think you're playing as Kate is like walking into him and like manually pushing him to the door I forgot about that yeah so this this part of the game you like this little robot thing will will escort you and he bugged and he wouldn't move and so I had to like push him down this section and then eventually Amazing. eventually oh. he like got back onto ai pathing and and continued forward and that but, was a few minutes alone so we probably would have went through that camp that part even that, quicker yeah that's true <laughs> that was so funny i experienced more bugs than i was comfortable with huh. we had bugs the entire game in every act in every chapter. Really? Like what? I didn't aside from Niles, <laughs> I didn't have that many bugs. Yeah. And I and I know that bugs are very situational and that some people can play games and never experience a bug and then other people have nothing but trouble with bugs and it can really color your experience in a good or bad way, you know, obviously depending on which end you're on. Um, and I was really disappointed by how many bugs that I experienced. I even tried doing like a hard reset on my Xbox One X um, and things like that to try to maybe clear some memory or whatever could have been holding up the, the build. But yeah, when we were playing together, there'd be teleporting enemies. Our characters oh. would teleport. There'd be rubber what? banding. There'd be screen tearing. Like there was a lot of bugs, like more bugs than I anticipated seeing. And by the time we got to like act three, I was like, it's kind of unacceptable that this is a first party game that's custom built for this hardware and there's this many bugs that's crazy the only issue i had was with um the servers but i was playing the weekend that the game launched so um matchmaking was kind of annoying not matchmaking but like inviting jason into my game he would sometimes get kicked out but that was it that's crazy yeah yeah i didn't didn't have any of those issues but then you know to your this point you already made i also just couldn't run monster hunter world (laughs) like just the game just didn't work Yeah. So yeah, video games are a very finicky beast. They Mm -hmm. truly are. 
Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about um, the story and overall impressions. This, to me, was something I was very excited about because I really gravitated towards this new class of cogs. I thought that they were really cool. I love that they made Kate the star of the game. You know, Laura Bailey is the voice of Kate. And when they announced this game, they made a a lot of effort to make sure people knew that this was the first time a female character was leading Gears of War. And I think that that's really important because particularly in action uh, games and shooters even more so, finding female characters who are the lead is rare. So I thought that that was really neat. I thought that Laura did a fantastic job. All of the voice actors did a, a really great job. I've always loved the, ca- the cast of Gears and, and the characters and the writing. And I thought that um, it was well done. Funny moments, really touching, serious moments. And the pacing of the game felt really great. The graphics looked beautiful. Uh, played it, of course, Xbox One X, as we mentioned, with codes provided by Xbox and I was just marveling at how beautiful this game looked. You know, bugs aside. Um, What did you guys think of of the story and the pacing through the first two acts? I really liked, uh, this is what Steinberg and I have talked about on our Steinbacher shows, is I thought the pacing was really great, which is why I was kind of torn about the open world areas, because it just kind of felt like, toward the the second one specifically, the desert, just felt like it kind of took me out of that because like you were saying earlier Simon I thought you know I this is a game I could have played by myself I didn't need someone to play with because the characters are interesting enough the pacing's so good that it's like never dull um and the banter between the characters is really great too and that's something I really appreciated I thought it was I thought the pacing was great I thought the story was a gear story I mean I don't think me personally, I don't hop into a Gears game thinking this is going to be like, oh my god, the narrative blockbuster of the year when it comes to story. It's like, now I'm going to get a really good shooter with some like over-the-top craziness, some cinematic moments, and I'm going to get a, a good enough story to boot, and I think that's what I got. So, I mean, it met my expectations. I think, yeah, yeah the pacing, um, I agree with Brent. I think the second one, the second open-world area damaged the pacing for me, but overall still much better than like Gears 4 was. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got so bored of Gears 4. Um, so they, they did a better job there, but I think the interesting thing is that I was really intrigued for a lot of Gears 5, and then toward the end, had this feeling of deja vu, of like, I feel as though we have been here before, and that we are kind of just doing the same shit over and over again, but with new people. And like, maybe that's just me, but... That was that was kind of the feeling that I ended the game with. Was aside from like the big moment, which we'll talk about later. Um, oh. Overall, I was just kind of like, "Huh, feels like we've been here before," but now it's just new people, but with a couple of old faces still there. Which I actually can we talk for a minute about how much I love the old gears. Yes. Oh yes. I think Dude. they are so fantastic. I love old Baird. He's amazing. Aww. I love old Coltrane. He's fucking dope still. He's the best. <laughs> Just coming in like, woo! Like, he's great. Uh, and then obviously Marcus the staple. staple oh bro. my god. What was that quote, Marcus? When he was talking to Foz, he was like, your name is Foz, right? And he's like, yes. He's like, fuck off, Foz. Or whatever. He said <laughs> that one. Oh my god. Yeah. He's so... Oh, I love it. But you do see kind of a a more tender side of them, you know, obviously when he's talking to JD or about JD, but specifically Kate, you can tell there's some like care there. And there's a book that came out before Gears 5 
that tells that whole story of what happened before Gears 5 takes place. Because if you notice in the beginning, I think there's a combo between JD and Kate where he alludes that she and Marcus have some sort of history, not romantic or anything, but that they've done some adventuring and shit together. Yeah, and he basically like digs at her like, well, you would know more about him being a father figure than I would. Kind of, like, kind of a line yeah. like that. And she's like, ouch, Jesus, that was unnecessary. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, sorry. Exactly. No, that's that's it. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of wish I would have read that book before I started the game because now I know I'm not going to go back and read it. But anyway, no, anyway, going back to Old Gears, Baird and his AI. What was what's her oh, name? Sh- Iris? Iris, maybe that. Did you stay and watch them banter for a few? Yes, minutes? of oh, course. So good. Yeah. So damn funny. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to Google it to make sure that the name of his, I'm like, his yeah, it is. AI. Iris. <laughs> it is. I, I am so smart. Um. <laughs> yeah. I think the old, the old gears are great. I think like, as I'd mentioned, like the, the cast is, is wonderful. The mocap work is really good. The animations all really lend itself to immersion in believing that these characters have a deep history together and that they care about each other and they care about their mission. And that's why I thought, you know, really worked from a, storytelling perspective in the game Uh, but i'm with you steimer in the sense that a lot of the gears of war games feel like they follow a very specific formula of like oh hey the locusts are back the swarm are back the lament are back i guess we got to go fight them and now there's another thing that happened and we got to get rid of them and now we have to bring the hammer of dawn online but wait do we not want the hammer of dawn didn't it kill a bunch of people and then they argue about the hammer of dawn and then ultimately they bring the hammer of dawn back right so (laughs) yes exactly that where i was like huh this feels familiar uh i have definitely seen this tree before so yeah, it, uh, I didn't ultimately super mind because I think as as Brittany said, it's gears and you kind of know what you're getting into. But I do wish that they had maybe tried something a little fresher, uh, which I would hope to see from the next game. But honestly, given where we ended it, I don't think it is. It kind of feels like that's also going to be familiar <laughs> yeah and well, i did really appreciate how in act two when they are at mount kadar in the secret cog lab that the explanation of why they're there what the lab was doing and like where the locust came from i think was incredibly helpful to somebody like me who's been a fan of the series but has never really dived deep into the lore i've always known about you know the relationship between like the locust and lamban and you know, kind of where the swarm came from, but I don't think I really quite understood who Queen Mira was Mm -hmm. and how, what her role was in the creation of the Locust. So I wanted to just quickly read uh, from the wiki because I actually stopped when we were playing the game and like looked this up while we were playing to kind of get all of the details about Queen Mira. Um, So um, Kate and Del continue to Mount Kadar where they find another secret cog lab hidden beneath the ice. There they find Niles, still alive as an AI construct. That, of course, is Niles Sampson, the chief scientist who had been experimenting on the children of humans suffering from emulsion poisoning. Um, Niles explains to them that the locusts were the result of his secret genetic experiments by manipulating the DNA of children infected with emulsion and hybridizing them with the indigenous creatures of the hollow. He also realizes that Queen Mira was originally a human who possessed a complete immunity to emulsion and could control the locusts due to her genetics being used to create them. However, when her newborn daughter, Reina, Kate's dead mother, was spirited outside of the lab by her father, Mira led the locusts to rebel against the scientists and gain their independence. 
Kate panics when she realizes she is the next queen and demands that she be separated from the Swarves' hive mind. Niles put Kate in a special brain scanning machine connected to a dormant berserker called the Matriarch, <sighs> while su- which successfully severs Kate from the hive mind, but also resurrects Reyna in the process as her consciousness still resides in the hive mind. Niles then flees, revealing that he has intentionally revived Reyna to let the swarm finish what the locust started. Niles is destroyed by the hive by the revived matriarch, and Kate and Dell kill it before escaping the facility, realizing Reyna is now the new swarm queen. Kate reaffirms the cogs need to reactivate the Hammer of Dawn. So this yes. whole thing, I think, is a huge turning point in the Gears franchise narratively. Like this idea that this information is now going to be made public, that they that this little girl that they find this information about inside this lab was in fact Reyna's or excuse me was Kate's grandmother and that's the you know the line of succession here and I think it's really interesting looking at Kate process all this information kind of in real time Um, and I wish we would have had a little bit more time to dig into that before getting into one of the most brutal boss fights that I've ever done oh girl how'd you and John do on that thing um so we were playing on easy uh, mm-hmm. No shame. That's no, right. No we were shame. playing uneasy no shame. Uh, because we like our marriage and didn't want to uh, get divorced over a video. <laughs> so good point. Yeah. He, he was playing as Kate and I was playing as Dell. Um, mm-hmm. And then he played as Kate for the first two acts. And then I, we switched because if you're playing couch co-op or if you're playing side by side like we were, what Kate sees and hears in key scenes is different than what mm-hmm. Dell sees and hears in key scenes, which I thought was very interesting. So it gives some replayability for people who want to play co-op. I don't think that there's an option. Can you play as Dell through the whole campaign? If you're playing know. solo? I don't or know. Or do you have to play as Kate? You have to play as Kate. Okay. Okay. See, now that's, an, that's unfortunate. But I understand why they do that. But it was really fascinating for me to play as Dell and kind of watch John's screen about what was happening. Because what I saw as Dell was completely different. Mm. Um, so the way that we played this was um, John would, would essentially kite the matriarch around the around the map and then i would i would stay behind her and shoot the weak spot you know while he would freeze her in place oh, okay yep that's, yep that's how many oh, will you put on easy yeah that was a, the bitchy yeah no we we smart. it took us about 45 minutes on easy to do that fight yeah, it's not easy no matter what mode you're on it's just because yeah. yeah. did you guys okay so in easy mode did it have the one hit kill Yes. Okay. Yeah. Really? If she that's jumped- kind of crazy. I would, that's thought, what I I would thought. think that easy would have that be a downed moment instead yeah. of insta kill. I was actually incredibly frustrated at the balance of easy mode throughout the campaign, not just in that fight. I felt like it got easier near the end because, of course, you you've leveled up Jack and you're you're more proficient with your guns. But like the final boss fight should never feel easier than the boss fight in the middle of the game. And it absolutely did. Oh, Something yeah. about the, yeah, the Kraken fight was super... with the matriarch fight, yeah, um, was really frustrating. But, like, there was a lot of points when we were playing, just doing, you know, some run-and-gun moments where we would get down by a couple of shots from, like, a random locust. And I'm like, this is not why people play on easy. Like, I want to experience the story. I want a light combat experience for my first playthrough. I know I'm going to play a lot of Horde, and I'm going to go back to this game. Like, I'm not trying to have like a a marquee difficulty experience in my first run of the campaign. I felt like it was not balanced properly for a a true easy mode. It didn't feel easy. 
Was what was the game that you were talking about recently that you said was too easy? Was that also Gears in the beginning? No, but um, I remember what you're talking about. She, yeah, you mentioned that. You were like, that. It's maybe that was when I was playing solo. I don't know because I only played the. So John and I played the first like act solo mm-hmm. each, and then we joined up and played the rest of the game co-op. Mm. So I can't speak to how the balancing for easy remained as a solo player because Steimer, you played on intermediate the whole time, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. Um, so I don't know how it would have been if I had continued easy on my own, but maybe the game scales if you have multiple players. Yeah, a I'm lot of games sure. do. That wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. But um, like you were saying, going back, you know, the over like arcing story, it, it's the same sort of thing, right? You know, hammer down, blah, blah, blah. But it sprinkled in there are some really interesting things. Obviously, the locust was one of them. And I even thought the level design in this game was really great. Each room really told a story. I mean, there's one level in the game. It's a kitchen. But I spent like 10 minutes looking at this kitchen and just appreciating every little detail in it. I was telling Simon about this when we recorded the show. It's like, dang, like... This is just like a level someone's just going to run through and probably not even pay attention. But if you look at it, there's just so much detail. And on that note, there is the hotel area, I think, right? Where they're having, um, oh, I don't know. It was about adoption or I can't remember the exact details of it. It was they were celebrating um, children, people adopting children, whatever it was. And there was just a total massacre there. And if you look, there's just all these like dead civilians just sprawled everywhere. It's a very, very gruesome scene. And it was very somber. And I know Gears obviously is a very sad story. Like humanity's fucked. But typically, you know, they kind of like brush over that with like the witty banter. And it's just kind of like more of an interesting, entertaining action flick more than a somber story until you get to the point where you got to decide who lives or dies. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I know, Steimer, we talked about that uh, when we talked about Gears initially. I thought that was really interesting. I don't remember Gears doing that in the past games where you're like, dang, this is fucking intense. I mean, they've definitely had intense moments, but I would say that those moments were probably more of the intimate story of the, of the the squad or like mm-hmm. more related closely related to that versus the world telling oh my god sort of moments um yeah and yeah they did a really beautiful job with that and i agree with both you and andrea on how like the locust storytelling part that the facility was fantastic mm-hmm. it actually shed a light on like what was going on and how it all came to be but then the funny part to me was i think i texted this to you Britt, after i was like wait a minute so what you're telling me is that uh, Mira could control these people with no attachment because that's what Niall says. But mm-hmm. Reyna, the reason Reyna is like kind of a weird monster now is because she resisted the tie she had to the locust and therefore has to have like some sort of a weird. They had to like uh, deform her in order to get her to be their queen because she was resisting. And same, the similar thing would have happened to Kate had uh. she not done sort of the, the whole matriarch shutdown business. But then I sat there and I was like, wait a minute. So I feel as though you would get around this by just saying, okay, I accept it. I am the queen now of all of the locusts. Everyone chill the fuck out. Go back underground. Nobody fight anymore. We're done. Oh, that's true. Like that to me, <laughs> I'm like, hello, if you could, if you can control these things. Why are you giving away the power to control them unless you're worried you don't actually have the power to control them and they control you, which would be no bueno. Um, But what he was talking about Mira, it really sounded like Mira, at least, 
was very much in control and knew mm-hmm. how to even, you know, not be attached to them, but still was like, no, no, we're doing this. You Should took my the- baby. I'm going to kill everyone. Yes. It's, yeah. it's interesting. Anyways, yeah. I thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I do want to bring in a new character that I had a lot of fun with. Jack. Yeah. Jack. So I think Jack is a really interesting addition and he becomes very important in the last two acts of the game. But the whole purpose, I think, of the whole first open world section that we come across is really the exploration is rewarded by finding these upgrades, these permanent upgrades for Jack, which I think is a really smart way for them to encourage players to go out and explore and to find these little tucked away areas, to find pieces of lore in the world, and of course, to to give a gameplay benefit to that. And so I really thought that that was well executed in uh, the very first section, which was um, on the way to Mount Kadar, right? All the snow um, shit. Oh, uh, yeah, yes, the, yeah, yeah. Where the snow is, yeah. yeah. Um, the frozen remains um, of uh, of the cog that you find kind of scattered around that mm-hmm. area on your way to the to the lab. And then as as we transition out of that, in, you know, Kate has seen and we you know what happens because she gets temporarily connected to the hive mind, and she's like, "Oh no, this is going to be bad. <laughs> we got to get the hammer of dawn stat." Um, I think the story really kind of takes a turn and the gameplay takes a turn in the second, uh, the second two acts. So, um, Brittany, before we talk about, you know, kind of story stuff that happens, I want to hear about your, uh, thoughts about playing as Jack as a character. I know you talked a little bit about it on the show last week when you were talking about playing with Steimer, but do you think that that's something that you'd like to see more from in Gears? Um, you know, it's hard to say. Or was it not fun enough? No, it was... It was fun. I would not want to play as Jack uh, during my initial playthrough because I think where Gears really shines is the shooting, right? And, and the, the action. And Jack can't... I mean, Jack is OP as fuck. Like, Jack can just mow down bitches left and right. But obviously, you know, you're a robot and you're kind of, like, flying around and you don't you don't have, like, that that heavy Remember when feeling. you went really fast? You were like, I'm going so fast! And you were just, like, <laughs> shooting down this hallway. And I was like, I know! Bye! I don't know. I was on. I don't know. I was on speed. I was going. She but. went faster than I've seen regular AI Jack ever go. Yeah, I don't know nice. how I did it. I had super turbos. Uh, but I mean, I would love to, if I had to play. If I had to, if I ever play through this game again, the campaign, which I know I won't. Um, I would love to play as him a second time through because he's definitely the support character, and it's fun to kind of switch through those, um, those abilities and whatnot. You know, to if you want to. Oh, what was it, Simer, that I got to use against the matriarch? Was it the shock? Or it was no. Know. You did pulse because that would freeze pulse. her. Yeah, pulse would freeze her, and that was incredibly helpful. But of course, super you're, helpful. Your AI yes. Jack. You know, I didn't know that that would do that, so I never tried it during my initial fight with her. Uh, but no, I would say like you know, if you want to play Gears and you have someone who's like, oh, I don't like shooters, they're not fun, raw, but they like playing maybe an MO as a support class, like be like, hey, here's a compromise. Here's Jack. He can do all these things. He can cloak you. He can stim you. Or whatever the different words are um you know revive you he can shock things drop the little grenades it's it was fun uh definitely not like i said how i'd want to play during my initial playthrough but he he's an op robot and he's great i do think it's he's a good option for a partner or a family member or somebody who's not super comfortable with video games um because yeah like as as Brittany Mm -hmm. said it seemed like he was sort of the more fun to play easier to play uh 
character and you can just kind of like buff everybody and you're not really gonna die yeah so in this little less pressure you can go down but like someone can just go over and like hit y or hit whatever button and yeah save jack goodbye it it was interesting playing out as him though during the moments you know when you have to fight against waves of enemies and jack is in the background you know trying to like find the switches he flies into one of the little holes in the wall so you actually get to do that and during one of the moments when i was playing with steimer and jason it's it's like maze of um vents you're in the um, air vents but it's like a little maze so i knew like the pressure was on like i have to find this switch because you know the more i dawdle the more waves they're gonna have to fight so that was kind of interesting that that's how they incorporated that yeah i thought that was fascinating i was like Brittany, what do you see tell us everything because like (laughs) we can't go back there and in my head because it's mostly an ai i didn't even think about the fact that anybody could play jack i thought it would just be like nothing back there Mm -hmm. right but then no they actually have built almost like your own little gameplay sections for jack which is really kind of cool poor jack i know poor jack yeah we had to say goodbye to jack eventually so just to kind of catch you guys up in the story because we're about to talk about this like explosive ending um there's been a lot of tension between kate and dell and jd after they find out that he um kind of let some civilians be killed um because i'm trying to remember the exact thing that happened it was that i forget the name of the the showdown or whatever but yeah he gave the order to allow the cog to fire on the civilians right and Kate and Dell were like, yo, dog, what? Yeah, this is information you have never told us before. But Foz is likes to stir some shit up, and he's the one who kind of, like, let that slide out. Yeah. Yeah, Foz was, like, a big old dick the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Um, he grew on me toward the end, but, yes, he yeah. definitely is, like, one of those characters you kind of just want to slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you do have to team up with JD and Foz. JD's kind of having the, has this moment in the third act where he kind of comes in to, I don't want to say saves the day, but he definitely like helps them, uh, when they're kind of being overrun by enemies and is like, I'm here. Um, Jin doesn't know I'm here to help you because you're my friends. And it's like, cool. That's good to know. But like, it's been Kate and Della's whole time. Right. But like, where were you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly my thoughts. Um, and so, you know, he's there to help them and he brings Foz along. And so they're trying to get these satellites launched. Um, they get the big rocket and they attempt to get the uh, satellites out. They do obviously get the satellites up into the air. Um, and then, of course, there's like the malfunction with the Hammer of Dawn because that always seems to happen. <laughs> I mean, nothing ever works. Yeah, as we know here at What's Good Games, technology doesn't like us. <laughs> That's true. Oh, technology is hard, especially when it involves satellite lasers that can like kill large groups of, of people and enemies. <laughs> yes. Um, so they make it back to uh, New Afira. Uh, they launch the the thing. Jin, of course, attempts to arrest Kate, and then there's that whole thing with the forcibly connecting her to the swarm, and then it gets and everyone's like, "Hot lol." No, you're not. <laughs> exactly and then like the kraken arrives so this is like the final boss fight of the game i immediately said out loud while john and i were playing i was like this is this looks exactly like the riven fight and i don't want to be reductive to destiny two players who know what i'm talking about with the last wish raid um and and riven the boss in that raid but like the design the physical design of the kraken reminded me so much of the design of Riven that I was like, 
man, this feels like a direct kind of ripoff. Hmm. Obviously, it's not. There's a lot of key differences. The Riven fight's, you know, much more intricate, much more difficult and complicated than the fight with the Kraken was because all things considered, the Matriarch fight was way more difficult than the Kraken oh, fight yeah. was. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting from a from a design perspective. And then, of course, you know, you kill a bunch more swarm, and then Jack sacrifices himself. Jack rest in peace you so there's no targeting beacon for the hammer of dawn so jack Uh, being the good boy robot that he is decides to fly directly into the kraken to be the targeting beacon and of course dies sacrificing himself it was just god that okay because that was sadder to me than the moment after where you make the choice was that after i don't even remember i think it's before it was after I think okay. I'm pretty sure. Let me double check. I'm like now I'm, my, my brain is mixing up timelines. I thought but- you chose the person and then who you want to live or die, and then oh yes, and yeah, then you do the fight because then you have to talk to Marcus. Yeah, and then yes, you have sorry, the final you're right, fight. You're right. Um, yeah. So we kind of <laughs> I guess we went backwards, but that's okay. That but the Jack losing Jack to me was harder than making that decision of yeah. who lives and who dies. Uh, oh, so really? I guess we should talk about that now because we alluded to it a few times already. Um. I guess, what is it like right before kind of the final push in Queen Reyna comes Uh. and she grabs JD and she grabs Del and I didn't understand what was happening at first in this point. Were either of you confused? And I was like, wait, what? And I'm like, I didn't want to believe. Yeah. and, And Kate pulls a knife out and basically she can only save one of her friends um one i wanted of them. to throw that knife at her stupid face i know i was like wait i can't throw it at you i have to throw it i know just like because she's basically like got them with tentacles holding them yeah. up so you throw the knife at one of the tentacles to cut them cut one of them loose um i will just say i had zero issue picking dell because dell has been your homeboy mm-hmm. for the entire game has thank you like dell has just been there dell has yeah. been a fantastic friend and JD, while I'm sure has redeemable qualities, was kind of a butthead for a while there and just ditched you and went super cog really hard for a weird a weird minute. Um, and then only came back to be like, I'm your friend now, now that it's basically all over. I th- that's why I was I got so angry at this moment. I got so angry for a multitude of reasons. And it's not just because I was now in act four and I had been experiencing some pretty bad bugs all along the way. And I was just like very mad about the bugs, (laughs) but I was really frustrated because they set, they set this, this choice up for, for failure in a way that I didn't understand. First off narrative choice like this has never really been part of gears. It just hasn't. They've always made these big narrative choices and, or at least for the most part. And I, and I would have to I would have to double check if there's another point in the Gears franchise where you make a choice like this that I don't believe I don't think, there is. I feel like like you said they make some interesting choices, but like yeah, I, yeah, you as the player aren't like. And I, I choose for and something. I'm not opposed inherently to them to to the coalition trying something new and being like, hey, we want to explore player choice in the game and player agency, but you're gonna bring it in at the eleventh hour at the very very end of the game and then leave it on this giant cliffhanger. And not only that. Like, like you said, Steimer, why on earth would anybody be picking JD? The yeah, only I, reason I had the lightest inkling to was not even about JD. It's like Marcus. I didn't want Marcus to be sad. <laughs> that, that was, was yeah. yes, 
Same. So when I had that choice, um, I was, I mean, obviously I was going to save Dell because JD, I mean, he was in Gears 4, granted, but I honestly don't remember a lot about that game. So even though I did finish it, it just didn't stick with me. So I didn't have much of an attachment, but I did appreciate the banter that they all had when things were like going normal. And even after when they kind of made up, it was like, oh, you know, like, you, you know, you're kind of interested and you have some interesting quips and okay, cool. But yeah, it was like a no brainer. Of course, I'm going to save Dell. But God, when they showed Reyna snapping his neck, like, yeah, to he me, like, like, I was like his... oh. oh, yeah. And it wasn't so much, it didn't so much bother me that it happened like in the 11th hour as much as I was just kind of like, is this necessary? You know, is, is this a huge moment? Like what, what is the purpose of this? Because I feel like keeping JD and Dell both in the series could enhance it better than taking one of them out. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like more of an emotional play of like, okay, now like we're having our big <laughs> defining moment here. And that's like, we're doubling down on this. Someone's going to die. We actually have stakes now because God knows there usually aren't. Um, we all managed to have plot armor on that's as thick as the armor we're actually wearing and it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, it just felt a little odd to be a choice between those two and the choice itself felt more irritated i feel like i was more irritated that they made me choose versus like them just doing something with it in the cutscene like if they just killed one of them off thank you i think that would have been so much more impactful if they had just made the choice for you and not let you choose the agony of me being like well what are the implications for this you know can i go back like do i want to do a second playthrough just to pick a different guy i don't think so and it's just like i I see like where they could go with Marcus by killing JD, but mm-hmm. like you almost feel like if you kill Dell, that there's really not going to be much fanfare other than obviously, you know, like exactly train, like having a moment, but he was such a small part of this game unless they intend for him to be a much bigger part of the next game. I don't, I don't know. And it just feels like after you spend literally the entire campaign with Dell, like this idea that you're gonna pick JD, like I don't, I don't know. I would need to hear a very compelling argument why you would pick JD, <laughs> unless it's all for Marcus, right? Because I'll tell you, like having that combo with Marcus sucked, and I felt re- it was really depressing after JD died. Because again, Marcus, I just felt so bad for him, and knowing we had to have that conversation and having it just killed me. And then obviously Jack Seth on that, on top of that, was just like, Rah. but it makes you kind of wonder you know, where are they going with the next game? How are they going to incorporate that, right? So I don't know, Sam, if you played Wolfenstein, but not this most recent one, but the one before that where you there's two characters you have to choose from, right? Mm-hmm. At one point? Yes. Yeah. It, so how did, how did that one feel compared to this one? Because I didn't play the one before the new Colossus where you may had to make that decision. I mean, to me, honestly, that didn't really have much of an impact on me whatsoever um, okay. because... You make the choice and then the game kind of goes on and I I didn't have an attachment to either of those characters when you make the choice. So it didn't really, I was like, whatever, I guess this guy, fine. Uh, And even here, I mean, I had more of an attachment to Dell because you just played most of the entire game with him. Um, And I didn't play, I played through honestly most of Gears 4 looking at the cutscene recaps, but I don't remember a lot. Uh, and so, like you said, JD never made like a lasting impression on me. So the only reason to keep him alive is that he's Marcus Phoenix's son. And it feels like sort of a waste that Anna died and like 
gave birth to this dude only for him to die in this right. way like that just kind of sucks but that to me was not a reason to kill Dell off either so i was just yeah. like so well, I, sorry just to clarify what i was talking about because i was speaking in circles i'm talking about during wolf inside the new order when you choose between fergus and wyatt Yes, I didn't okay. care about. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't that. have. You don't really. I feel as a player have a lot of attachment to either of them, or Caden or Ashley. Right? It's like there's only yeah. a few games that I can feel like puts you in this position, and I'm like, ah. yeah, it's kind of, it like, is kind of a Caden Ashley. No, man, no, no. There's no saving Ashley. No. That's what I'm saying. It feels like that kind of a choice because you're just like, why yeah. would you? Why would you Save pick her. JD? Why would you pick Ashley? Yeah, and like, sure, people will, and I'm sure we'll get many comments about why they picked <laughs> JD. But um, I don't know. I mean, it's I could see people being like, I don't know. But JD to me also has always been the one to throw himself into God saving mode, or like, I will fix everything. Yeah. So it kind of feels a little safer that he's dead. <laughs> like he's not gonna um, Leroy Jenkins into situations anymore, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I I think it's a, a much more interesting angle if JD dies. I yes. think yeah, you know we'll get to see a different Marcus. We'll get to see a different Kate and Dell. Um, and I really liked the relationship that they got started. And I'm perfectly fine if if JD doesn't come back. So yeah, I'll miss that voice actor because I think that voice actor is great. But oh yeah, he's awesome. But yeah, otherwise. Yeah, I, going back to what I was saying earlier, I'm just annoyed that this even kind of happened because I feel like the story would be better with both of those characters because obviously JD by himself, he's fine, but he brings out a side of Marcus that I think would be really interesting to explore. Mm-hmm. But now it's like... And I, no, sorry, yeah. Oh, no, yeah I think like in the next game, it would be more interesting to see JD continue to grow and right. see where he's going because he kind of made a... And to be like, hey, what made you change your mind? Or like, what made you decide to come back here and and delve into that a little bit more. Um, but the fact that they would make you do that at the expense of killing someone who has been there with you loyally the your whole journey, I it's yep. not, wor- not worth it to me. Not going to do it. Yeah, and it's, you know, you you kind of appreciate and respect the narrative decision, right? Like, this is the story they wanted to, to tell, and obviously we're talking about it, and there are those what-if stories. But it's, uh, it's just one of those ones where I'm like, I don't know if this was the right call. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but I agree. Yeah. Well, they certainly left it on a giant cliffhanger. Yeah, so we know that Gears is coming back, and uh, the coalition has already announced alongside Xbox that you know this was a super successful outing for them for Gears Five. Uh, like I mentioned, we just talked about the campaign. I've got Horde to play. I love Horde. <laughs> I just got to find time for it between Borderlands Three and Destiny Shadow Key. Yeah, unpacking your house. Yeah, you know, that whole thing, building a studio. I eventually want to get away from this room with a white wall, but it takes time, man. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, ladies, this has been a fun time talking about Gears 5. I needed to talk about this choice with some people and figure out. I'm glad I I feel vindicated that everybody saved Dell. Yeah. My my, uh, trainer also played Gears, and he also saved Dell. Good. (laughs) Good. I do want to hear from people who saved JD and why you did it. Let us know. Yeah. I feel like Um, it's all Marcus. I feel like everyone's like, I couldn't do it to Marcus. Poor Marcus. He would have been so sad. I can't imagine killing a guy who's been with, who literally saved your life along the campaign because you didn't want Marcus to be sad. Yeah, but Marcus was like, (laughs) Marcus is the guy. 
for like the whole beginning of Gears. So I could see yeah. that being, but that's the only argument I will accept. There's, yeah. There are no others. <laughs> Okay. Noted. And that will do it for this week's episode of What's Good Games. Thank you so much to everybody for sticking with us to the end. We hope you enjoyed the spoiler cast and this week's episode. We will be back next week with more talk about video games. And yes, I will probably be talking more about Destiny 2. Until then, have a fantastic weekend. And don't forget to mark your calendars for those Patreon streams and the Extra Life events. Have a great weekend, everybody. Goodbye. Forever to come. It's my new sign off. Forever to come. Ah.